0: Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again.
1: Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles
0: consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just
1: fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I am Subi, riding solo today. No Taylor Damel, but we do have a wonderful, wonderful interview to get to. We sit down with college basketball writer and podcaster, Brian Ralph, today. Uh, Heat checks CBB, he is one of the smartest individuals in this space. I truly felt smarter after this interview. And we talk everything about this upcoming weekend, this delicious, delicious slate of games that are coming so was really excited to chat with brian and we'll have that to you after uh the intro song all right so stay tuned for that it's coming up here shortly go download subscribe rate and review us on whichever device it is that you use of course remember we are brought to you by belly up media your college hooper of the day today i went with mike toby you guys remember mike toby out of the University of Virginia, he committed to the Cavaliers over schools such as Maryland, Pitt, and Xavier. Good ball player, Mike Toby. He split time between uh, between being a starter and one of the first six men or first guys off the bench. He won ACC Sixth Man of the Year in in 2015. Uh, he was also part of the U.S. National U19 basketball team. Um, and he ended his career at Virginia as the all time leader in games played in, with playing 138, 138 games over his four years for Mike Toby. Very, very impressive. I do believe he is playing professionally overseas, but he is your college hooper of the day check out the website at theaterandcollegehoops.com and make sure to follow me at cbb theater to find out where the feat is you should also follow taylor at taylor damel like i said folks no real intro we're going to dive right into this slate of games here with brian ralph so let's open the curtains are so excited to welcome on to Theater and College Hoops, a senior writer for Heat Check CBB, writer and contributor to the Almanac, which is always such a great resource heading into the season, author of the Ralph Report, and most importantly, I would say, good friend of the program, Riley Davis. That's how we got Brian on. Uh, but this also may be even more important, South Carolina alum.
0: What a year the Cox are having. Brian Ralph, welcome to the show, man. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, this was a this was a good day to have me on right after uh, perhaps the biggest win in college basketball this season or the best win, right? South Carolina going on the road and beating Tennessee. Uh, yeah, it's it's good to be here. I appreciate you having me. Appreciate you jumping on and Brian.
1: Let me tell you something. There's the kiss of death, right? I call this the what what we do is the kiss of titch. All right, T I C H theater in college hoops. It's the kiss of titch when I talk about a team. And they inevitably go over that week. Like I was talking about a couple of weeks ago, Tennessee, uh, how how they were super underrated, and then they just followed it up with two terrible games. And so it's nice to finally have you <laughs> yep. on in light of South Carolina winning.
0: Well, let's hope that doesn't happen with the Gamecocks, right? I I, I hope that's the, that they don't go over this this next week. But yeah, I mean, it's been um, it, it's been a hell of a week. Uh, I think the Gamecocks were good, but like the last week, right, beating Kentucky and then beating Tennessee uh, with the win over Missouri thrown in there, you can't kind of deny it anymore. They are under the radar and, and and certainly aren't anymore, which is uh, a big shock. No one expected this team to be eighteen and three. So it's been a it's been a fun ride.
1: Put me in a perspective, real quick, of fan versus how you're looking at the game from a neutral. Mm-hmm perspective related to South Carolina specifically, like what's your surprise level first as a fan, but then also as, as someone who looks at it neutrally and maybe it's the same level.
0: Yeah, I think it's a little bit of, it's roughly the same level, right? I, I I try not to have as much fan interest on the basketball side of things. You'll, you'll certainly hear my fan interest with, with the football side of things from South Carolina. Uh, But I've gotten to the point where I root for myself to be right with basketball more so than, than I root for any particular team. Um, but obviously pay attention when the Gamecocks are doing, because went to school there. My wife went to school there, right? Like we're, that's where we met. It's, it's, it's our school. Um, did not expect much coming into the season. I thought Lamont Paris was a good hire, but given what we saw last season, his first year, I thought this was going to be a longer rebuild. He brought some experience in the off season uh, via the transfer portal. No super high profile guys, Uh hoping to kind of stabilize the roster, right? And uh, be competitive, show some steps forward. Don't, don't be the, the team that was so obviously the worst team in the sec last season. And I didn't see this coming either at, as a fan or as a, um, as somebody who who does this as a, a writer and, and follows a sport. Um, what they've done though, like they pass the ball better than just about any team that I've seen this season. Their system numbers aren't, top the charts but ball movement unselfishness is a lot of fun to watch they shoot the three incredibly well shoot a lot of threes really good defensively and they make teams execute in the half court it's a lot of fun to watch and i i think i tempered my excitement early on in the season because i wanted to be like oh no like this is this is south carolina you're just kind of being a fan like tone it down a little bit but they're like they're legitimately fun to watch and the style they play it's not the fastest but uh, I think it's a very effective and efficient way to play basketball, particularly when you have a team that plays like a team as well as, as this group does. So it's been a lot of fun. Very, you very talk, surprising. You
1: talk about rooting for yourself to be right back on December 11th. I can't remember if it was prior to, or after the Clemson game, which they lost, but it was on the road. Mm-hmm. I said to myself that I'm pretty sure it was after the Clemson game. Cause I, I said, South Carolina was very competitive in that mm-hmm. game against a ranked opponent at that time in Clemson. And I was just super impressed with them. And I did go out on, on a limb basically saying, I think they're going to flirt with a bubble spot. I think they're going to flirt with getting in and, you know, Greg Gumbel's going to say their name on selection Sunday. Uh, they're past that at this juncture. Now they could mm-hmm. torpedo out. I don't think they will, but you mentioned how aesthetically pleasing they are. What I was most impressed with in that game in Knoxville is that it was a bar fight and usually mm-hmm. Tennessee wins bar fights. They did not.
0: Right. Yeah, you you don't shoot thirty three percent from the field and beat a top five team on the road. That doesn't happen, particularly if you are a team uh, that doesn't have as much individual talent as South Carolina does. But that's exactly what they did. They they crushed it defensively. I think Dalton Connect had thirty one points, but there's Tennessee's roster had twenty eight. Right, yeah. like it, it, they they kind of were like, you're gonna get yours, we'll limit everybody else, and it it, it worked. It did.
1: So, Brian, what I want to do, and I think it's very important for our listeners to get a better understanding of who our guests are, where you come from, how you how you got to the point that you're at today, your career trajectory uh, Mm -hmm. and and who you've met along the way. And that might dovetail with your time at South Carolina and Mm -hmm. all the folks that you've met. So just take us back to when you started falling in love with college basketball and then diving into the more professional media side
0: of it. And the writing side well i grew up in raleigh in the raleigh area uh you know we're right smack in the middle of, of duke unc at nc state we are in an area where when it gets to the acc tournament teachers would roll the tvs into the classroom at noon and you'd have it on every afternoon that that thursday and friday and then you get to the nancy tournament same thing happens like it was a it was a big deal it was a big deal. I remember one time, I, I, I love to tell the Dallas story in eighth grade, I had a, a our English class. Her teacher was from Ohio, and she was awesome. But it was like the, the Friday of the ACC tournament, right? And Duke was playing somebody at noon, or maybe UNC was playing somebody at noon. And me and, and some other kids would go up to her and were like, why are we like going to watch the, the game? And she looked at us like we had three heads. She's like, what are you talking about? Like, why, why would we do that? And so she goes across the hall and talks to other teachers and then that kind of comes back in with their head down rolling a tv into the classroom like this is just this is just how we do things um it, it, i did not realize that was not a normal thing everywhere else in the country like i thought this was just like a a cel- a celebration of, of basketball when it got to march everywhere across the country it, it's special to to this area um and Every, you know, you talk to different parts of the country. The South, obviously, football is, is huge. Other areas, you go up north, there are different sports like hockey. You know, west there are different sports that kind of consume the um, the proverbial water cooler talk. Here, it's all college basketball. Here, it's all college basketball. So I was I was brought up in it. I didn't realize it was any different. And then I I go to school. I go to South Carolina program that is historically not good. On the basketball side of things, and everybody treated basketball like it was this two-month window between the time football ended and baseball started, and it was it was a weird shift for me. But I will also say I also think it helped me focus my attention onto this, onto basketball in particular, because I'm I'm a big sports fan. Basketball has been my favorite my entire life. There, we can get into the intricacies of basketball and why basketball is beautiful and awesome. But if you're watching this or listening to this, I'm going to assume you feel the same way and you understand it. (laughs) Um, But I, you know, grew up a sports nut. And so I, I went to school to do broadcast journalism, wanting to figure out some way to do sports, not figuring out exactly what in there I wanted to do, but wanted to do it somehow. Thought I was going to do the TV side, like sports anchor, get on sports center and anchor sports center. Um, Quickly realized that wasn't super duper fun. Because you had like, you're just like two minutes on a local broadcast of here's what happened. Um, And it was around the same time I started interning with a sports talk radio network in South Carolina, which is at the time was one of three statewide radio broadcasts in the country. It was not affiliated with the University of South Carolina, but it was based in Columbia covering all of South Carolina sports, um, which I thought was, was great and had an excellent opportunity there with the guys there. I worked there for about two and a half or three years. Um, and the exposure it gave me this first time I was I went, covered practices of, of football, basketball, any kind cut audio clips, produce radio, got to do some on-air stuff on the radio. And you're like, Oh, well, this is kind of fun saying your opinion. Like this is, this is the good, good, good side of things. Um, but you get kind of side of it. And it's, it's hard to make a sustainable living in radio for uh, at least starting out. Um, and so, at that time, kind of later in school, you're we trying to figure out, okay, what are we, what are we doing? Um, had the opportunity to to start doing some writing for some companies, uh, just kind of freelance, you know, get your foot in the door, build a, a portfolio, kind of deal, and and loved it, and kind of took things off from there. Um, the journey after that was was long and winding, um, which we we could get into kind of piece by piece, but. Um, I didn't settle on the fact I wanted to do writing and and covering college basketball specifically uh, until later on in school when I realized that not everybody cared about it. Like I did.
1: (laughs) That makes sense.
0: Uh, How how did you get connected with the heat check guys then? Uh, It was a a kind of a a long windy road. Um, So at a school I had, because of my, Broadcast journalism background doing like TV production. I had a out of school. I started as a temporary production assistant with ESPN, cutting highlights for Sports Center, doing all that. I spent two months in Connecticut uh, when one of the companies that I wrote for in school, Chat Sports, had a full time opening and hired me out from there. Um, and that allowed me to do full time writing. It was it was very bloggy, you know, cover trying to cover everything as much as you can, We're doing like 15 to, to 18 articles a day. Um, very SEO heavy kind of stuff. Didn't really get the chance to stick my teeth into anything, but being in that full-time, I was able to meet uh, some of the Heat Check guys like Eli, uh, Connor Hope, uh, Lucas Harkins at, at Busting Brackets at the time, who's now at Heat Check. Um, to try to figure out, you just being full-time in that community and, and leaning with the college basketball focus, you just started to meet people online. Uh, and then the FBI scandal broke about everything. And so suddenly everybody was focused on college basketball it became a big thing. And every, we started talking more and more about like just college basketball in general. I think it became much more of a focus and I learned much more, um, about the legal side of just the, our legal system <laughs> that I think I ever wanted to know. Mm-hmm. Um, but as part of that, um, it, it, it kind of linked. There was a time in that that linked my two worlds. So, being one of the only really basketball-focused guys in South Carolina, I was able to make a couple connections down there, um, and then working with Chat Sports, we were able put together and kind of realize that, like uh, at the time, Zion Williamson, who lived in South Carolina, um, was you know social media sensation as he still is, uh, but this was back in high school. Um, you know, was kind of caught up in this with with Kansas. Uh, and so we had enough based on people I had talked to and, uh, people, some other guys at chat sports had talked to, um, to kind of link him and, and Kansas in that recruitment. Um, and that broke, that's still the biggest story I've ever broken. I'm not a huge, like breaking news guy. I, I give those guys a ton of credit cause they're always on and always talking to people. And that's just not kind of in my, in my DNA. I'm not good at it. Um, so that'll probably be the biggest story I break in my life. Wow.
1: But That's, in, that's
0: we, super interesting. Yeah, so we had that and kind of from there that took me from being just like some guy on the internet to having something tangible, which uh, was good. But as time went on at Chat Sports, I realized I wanted to kind of do more and more just basketball. I didn't have to worry about writing about college football recruiting or trying to, to dabble in some baseball and NHL kind of stuff. Um, wanted to just focus on basketball there aren't many jobs available this is the time where everything's kind of shrinking from a a corporate standpoint um and was just recently married at the time trying to start a family so trying to figure it out so i ended up getting out of the business full-time at that time Oh wow um Wanted to keep my foot in the door. And luckily that's where conversations with, with these guys kind of helped. I'll, I'll talk to to mention Lucas in particular. He was one of the uh, the leaders at Busting Brackets at the time. So, so I kind of step out of there, I uh, go from making no money to trying to make some money in, in, a, in a different field. Um, started working with Busting Brackets to, to keep my foot in the door uh, and was there for two years and met a lot of really, really awesome people through that. That was the first time I was able to really focus on college basketball. Uh, and so you start meeting more college basketball people that way. And you get more and more of a presence online when that's more of, of what you're talking. Um, and then pandemic hit. Around the time the pandemic hit was when Eli, uh, Eli Becker started Heat Check. Uh, and there were a couple people who reached out to Lucas was one of them. Lucas being one of the, the best bracketologists out there was an obvious <laughs> candidate for Eli to be like, Hey, we're going to go do this. Um, and so Lucas had had told me about it and I messaged Eli just kind of like, Hey, is, can I come too? Yeah. They're an interest in like, have, I, uh, and, and Eli was all about it. It was great. Um, and so jumped on then, um, and things have kind of have been on a upward trajectory since then to be honest. That's amazing. Yeah. Like doing, doing the work we, we've got connected with, um, uh, as I said, just about everybody in college basketball, um, Jeff Goodman and Rob Dosser have been big in that regard. Um, they're big fans of what we are doing uh, and then talking to them and they kind of opened some doors with some other connections as well, which have been, been huge for, for me and for us. Um, but I think more importantly, the guys that Eli brought on at heat check, uh, all of us have become like incredibly good friends and there's no there's there's never any drama between all of us we're all kind of on the same wavelength um and it's been a lot of fun to to grow this to where it is now um still places to go but kind of took a windy road to doing what i legitimately love doing and it's been it's it's been a blast
1: yeah unpacking that a little bit we were lucky enough to have eli on i think it was around this time last year and he was talking a little bit about how he launched that and obviously we've had riley on lucky enough to have you on and it, it, if it's possible to see the cohesion via tweets and on twitter <laughs> i i can see how you guys are all get al- get along and and the cohesion there uh, additionally it's it, it sounds very clear from your statement that this wasn't a linear trajectory for you right like you said a lot of uh uh, twists and turns pandemics fbi investigations also like i love doing you know uh, there are athletes that are usually paired with each other throughout their careers like you think of peyton Mm -hmm. manning ryan leaf i don't know uh, different draft classes right i mean i suppose it's only fair to say you and zion williamson are forever linked is that oh yes yes
0: Yes, of course. Of course. No. And, you know, that was, that was something at the time where, because I was a nobody at the time and I'm not like I'm somebody now, but I, you know, I just some guy with a Twitter account. Um, There was a lot of like this this can't be true, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, like shortly after Kansas like stops recruiting him. And then it comes out in the court documents that he's linked and all that and everything, everything was correct. Um, So it, that was that was validating too, and I think gave me some confidence um, when it was like, oh yeah, like they're like knew everything was solid. But when it comes out that everything, like yeah, everything was solid, everything was good. Um, that gave me a lot of confidence um, too. But yeah, certainly a lot of not a linear trajectory by by any stretch of the imagination. Well, you're here
1: now, and you obviously have built up a a, a great reputation, and that's why I'm having you on because we got an amazing slate this upcoming weekend, Brian. Yes. Okay. I mean, there's no football I talked about this earlier in the week there's no football this is a perfect tornado a perfect storm of hey over here watch watch this sport because yep. this this upcoming weekend is going to be terrific I want to go game by game uh, of the big ones that mm-hmm. I picked out uh, and we'll start in the big east okay and I think this is actually one of the first games to tip off UConn St. John's uh, I don't necessarily want to overlook UConn because as they're recording this they're they're playing Providence I would assume that they're going to take care of business Wednesday night. But if we can look ahead to UConn and St. John's, tell me what you're thinking about that game. Uh, St. John's a bit of a stumble last week or a week and mm-hmm. a half ago. I, I I said that they're facing their first real adversity, November and December losses. in my estimation aren't real adversity. Like we're here mm-hmm. now. We're approaching Valentine's day. UConn just rolling along. Donovan clinging his back, uh, any chance for the Johnnies to pull this upset at home?
0: Yes. Yes. Like uh, there, There's absolutely a chance. You have Rick Pitino at Madison Square Garden. Yes. Like, I, you, you can't write them off. I don't think there's any doubt that UConn is playing like one of the two best teams in the country. And you can, you know, depending on how you view them and Purdue, they are unanimously in that mix, particularly after UNC lost to Georgia Tech. Um, the thing with UConn is that I think there is the potential for some stumbles with them. Because everything has gone so well so far. Like, you've gotten the production from the role players you've needed to. Everybody has stepped up when they needed to. Tristan Newton has gone from being, uh, you know, two years ago, somebody who transferred from ECU to UConn, people thinking that that was too big of a jump for him. And now he's like an all American candidate. Like, he, he took that step forward. I, I, I don't know how good UConn's perimeter will continue to be. Let's put it that way. I think like Yukon is the best team in the big East. One of the best teams in the country. I, I fully expect them to be a one seed in the anti-tournament. Fully expect them to make a long run in the anti-tournament. But I also think you can say that and say that they have maximized everything they've gotten from the perimeter. Right. I, I think the, the room for growth of Yukon comes from Donovan Klingon being the guy we thought he was going to be in the preseason and injuries have kept him from being that there's a chance he can still turn into that over the last month and a half, two months of the season, but for you, if that doesn't happen, then UConn needs to continue to be perfect on the perimeter, maximizing what they've gotten from Cam Spencer, maximizing what they've gotten from Caravan, maximizing what they've gotten from Tristan Newton, the the whole the whole group down. I Saint John's the way they play, the way they pressure you, can throw some wrinkles in there because there's such a, there's such a unique challenge with the way Rick Pitino presses uh, and the way they they. Their depth, where they can throw some length and athleticism at you on the perimeter. I, w- I would say Yukon wins this game eighty percent of the time. It's not like Madison Square Garden is a place where UConn goes and does not feel at home, right? Quite the opposite, I would argue. Quite the exactly, but I, I do think there is something about this being like the game of the season for St. John's. And whenever you have a team that may not be overly talented, but is certainly talented enough, like St. John's, and has a coach like Rick Pitino. You can't write him off. I think this will be a, a kind of a, a fun, wild, wacky game that comes down to the last couple minutes.
1: This is going to be a great game. I'm so excited to see. I mean, we've seen now Rick Pitino in primetime spots, but going up against the number one team in the country, one of the best coaches to ever do it in MSG. He's, he's on this Renaissance campaign, even though he had success at Iona. Now he's mm-hmm. uplifting St. John's. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Let me ask you this real quick on St. John's. Obviously the opportunity if they win is huge because you're probably in the NCAA tournament. If I were to sit here today for the Johnnies, I don't know if I can say with hundred percent confidence that they're in. So a loss, I don't know, like really hurts them that much, Mm -hmm. but uh, you know, win or lose for the Johnnies. I think we know what, what happens with the win, but if they lose, like, what are you, what are you seeing for their, uh, their tournament projections? I
0: still think they're in as of right now. Um, They're not on the bubble, but they're like kind of that like bubble to the bubble, right? Where a, a, a bad loss or two puts them in that conversation. They're not going to fall or be penalized for losing to UConn. That's not going to happen. The loss for them will be a missed opportunity of getting that resume stamping. You are pretty much in kind of victory right so they, they don't, they're not going to lose pole positioning but they're going to lose the opportunity to move up and there yeah. aren't many of those opportunities left on the season
1: that's right that's fair uh let's pivot now back to the sec all right and i did want to talk I, i'm not just bringing this up because you're on the program <laughs> but south carolina georgia if you told me in november that this was going to be a n- really good game uh a, a big time game i would have Laughed in your face. But let me tell you something. The dogs are pretty good at home. They've stumbled a little bit. You talk about, I think, the three most surprising teams, certainly in the SEC, but potentially in the country, include South Carolina, Ole Miss, who just got a win against their rival, and Georgia, uh, up until they've stumbled just a little bit. But South Carolina, Georgia, man. Um, this could actually now be my kiss of titch. So I apologize for this. Cox going
0: to the dogs, though. What do you think? You know, Georgia was the last team to beat South Carolina. Beat a bit at Colonial Life Arena in Columbia before they, they started this stretch, which I, I think South Carolina will remember. Um, I have an interesting kind of relationship with Georgia and Mike White in particular. Not like a personal relationship or anything like that. Um, he, he just frustrates the crap out of me because he has these teams that are incredibly athletic, incredibly deep. It should be very obvious that you run and play fast and allow your athletes to get out in transition, particularly when you struggle offensively in the half court. And his teams just don't. They they, they, play, they play at a slower tempo. They try and execute at half court, and it doesn't often work to their benefit. It seemed, that's why his teams at Florida didn't really work. It's why Georgia kind of struggled last season. However, when you play against South Carolina, South Carolina likes to slow it down as well. You know they're they we mentioned how aesthetically pleasing they are. It's not from a run and gun kind of pace. It's it's a sharing the ball, getting an open look kind of pace. That that plays in to Georgia. And so if you're not going to try and make Georgia play faster, you're gonna you're gonna mitigate the advantage you would have. That way, right? It it's tough because like the way South Carolina is playing, South Carolina should win this handily. Right. But I think you could argue that Georgia um, is the more athletic team. I think you could argue that Mike White is more proven than Lamont Paris. Like South Carolina did just go beat Tennessee at home.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Road victories are not like easy things to have in general. And then I think we need to recalibrate our expectations for South Carolina based on that, but not necessarily the fact that they're now going to beat everybody on the road. Right. Like this is this is still an incredibly tough matchup. I think Georgia matches up well with South Carolina because of that. Some of that athleticism and versatility um, allows them to to be a little more aggressive defensively and and limit three point attempts that South Carolina likes to take. Um, I would still take South Carolina in this, um, particularly given the fact that I think they want some revenge for Georgia beating them in, in Columbia a couple of weeks ago. But this this does make me feel uncomfortable because this does feel like a spot where uh, where Georgia would win. And everyone's like, oh, South Carolina is just back to being South Carolina.
1: So so I, I think this is one of the reasons why I brought this up is because looking at the schedule, it also made me uncomfortable. And the reason I say that is because Georgia essentially beat Tennessee essentially doesn't actually cut it, but <laughs> they essentially beat Tennessee. Right. They're desperate as hell right now. I think like I I, I think they're they're getting to a point where, you know, you start, you continue to lose some of these games. Uh, it, it's not going to be good for your tournament chances. So th- there's a desperation aspect, but additionally, this is a found opportunity now for Georgia at home in the sense that beating a South Carolina team would be huge for their resume, mm-hmm. which again, I don't think a lot of folks thought would be the case Um, in terms of, you know, your uh your personal relationship with mike white i get it let me share mine mine is with brad brownell and his his <laughs> incredible success in november and december uh yep. and then the opposite of that, like i have to wait if you I, i've always said this if you're crowning or coronating the clemson tigers before like the new year's eve ball drops and like andy cohen and 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 anderson cooper are drunk on your tv that's a you problem. I got to wait until like MLK day. All right. But yeah. that's just a personal note.
0: Yeah. No, Clemson, Clemson last year was like 16 and four something like that. And seven and zero in ACC play and missed a tournament. You like, guys tweet, you guys tweeted something
1: out the past five years. Their record yeah. from November, December versus Jan Feb.
0: It's terrible. It's terrible. Yes. Um, another reason why I'm scared about South Carolina in this, in this spot. So you, you play at Georgia, What's looming on Tuesday is Ole Miss at home. I'm scared this look at hit spot because that you have two games at home. Ole Miss, Vandy should be fine. Then you go play at Auburn on Valentine's Day, right? So like this is a comfortable stretch coming up with some with some bigger games than this. You should pay attention to Georgia because they already beat you, and it's a road game. But it's also a second straight road game with a big stretch coming up. Uh, I'm I'm a little nervous about it being a look at hit spot.
1: Yeah, it very well could be. But uh, speaking of, you know, looping it back to celebrating our correct, our correct predictions, I I have to be accountable and say one of the worst predictions I had in the preseason was saying Todd Golden was going to win SEC Coach of the Year. Now Florida, they're fine. I guess they're not terrible, but they're not as good as I thought they would be. But why that is such a bad prediction now is because within this own conference, there's Chris Beard and then potentially the national coach of the year in right. Lamont Paris. Like Todd, my Todd Golden pick, which I thought was going out on a limb, uh, has been completely sunk.
0: Yeah. Well, the, that Todd Golden, another conversation we can have because um, I, I we questioned me and Connor Hope. Uh, we've said this on the Heat Check Hangout. Um, don't know how good of a coach he actually is. Like he had, he had one team at San Francisco that kind of met expectations, which is the tournament team, his last team before coming here. Um, but he's never really like exceeded them. And then he goes to Florida and does this analytics ball. Finishes under 500 last year. This year, again to your point, they're solid, but don't have a quad one win. Um, I think the, the jury's still out on on him for me. <laughs>
1: I, I think that's fair. And in my prediction, Brian, I said, look, if, if I, I remember saying this, I was like, if Florida can just be, I don't know, a couple games below 500 in Q1 opportunities, I think there's a, a path or an opportunity uh, oh, yeah. zero, <laughs> but like winless in Q1. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that ain't not going to do it. Uh, no, it's not. Okay. So we've talked a little Yukon, St. John, South Carolina, Georgia. Let's move to the big 12 now. Uh, Texas and TCU the way I'm viewing these two teams Brian is that they are going to be checking in and out of the top 25 every single week like they're going to be if they get back into the top 25 they're going to be at 23 and then if they're out they're going to be like just missing the cut I mean these are two teams in my eyes that are living between like 23 and 27 uh, for Mm -hmm. the foreseeable future but this Texas at TCU game is going to be monstrous TCU picks up a huge victory uh, the other night, which I, I think gets them squarely off the bubble and firmly mm-hmm. in right now.
0: Uh, but Texas TCU, how do you see this playing out? What are you looking for? I really like this TCU team and the, and the way they've been playing. They had some shaky non-conference performances. Um, you can look at the fact they should have lost to Georgetown uh, if out-of-bounds calls could be called correctly on, on half-court hues Um they're 5-2 and two in their last seven games after they almost beat Kansas at Allen Fieldhouse. I mean, they played seven games since then, they're 5-2. and two. Four of those wins were against top 15 teams. Part of that is just the gauntlet of playing the Big 12, but to beat that many teams, which have come both at home and on the road, I think is a testament to how well this team is playing. Texas has turned things around as well. I think we were all kind of writing their obituary after they lost to UCF uh, and then responded with two big wins – almost beat Houston uh, at home on Monday, which would have you know, certainly changed the conversation around them. This is a big spot for them because they are squarely on the bubble. And it's weird to think about Texas being that way given their uh, preseason expectations and the way we thought about them even uh, a month ago, less than a month ago. Um, but they don't have the kind of quality wins they need to solidify a spot in the tournament as of right now. This TCU game has a chance to be one. Uh, I'm going to trust TCU, though, and, and their tempo, the way they play defense, to be able to kind of disrupt uh, disrupt Texas, particularly at home, to where the Horn Frogs would get the win. But we also just saw Texas handle a pretty good defense in Houston and 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 take them to the finish line. Uh, how much of it was it the fact it was in Austin? I don't know. And TCU is a different kind of animal than Houston. Uh, Houston's certainly better, but TCU, I think – extends their pressure a little bit more than than Houston does. Um, Again, I'm going to lean TCU, but this is a major spot for Texas to, to get that kind of win that they need. TCU just, when they get to the
1: tournament, I'm looking ahead. They just are such a nuisance and they will, they will, they will have you biting your fingernails off as an Arizona fan. That game with (laughs) Benedict Matherin, that was not fun. You ask Arizona, they basically count that as a loss. Like, Arizona fans will be like, Tommy Lloyd still hasn't gotten to the second week of the tournament. <laughs> uh, and then this is what they do against Arizona teams. Was it last year against ASU, right? they yep. They ended up victorious. But my goodness, TCU, like, they're just such a bear to play
0: they are and I, I i picked tcu to beat arizona in that game that was one of my uh my like feather my calf like i could hang my bracket on this game and i was a little upset that uh, it went the other way uh, perhaps some questionable refereeing which may or may not be a tendency of, of tcu games now that we're now that we're talking about it or um us, yeah yeah but, but like I, I i think tcu is a good bet to win a game maybe two in the tournament depending on how things shake out if they maintain this level of play texas i don't feel as good about um but they've certainly turned things around this last week or so
1: let's keep moving west here brian spraying and praying at this point mountain west hoops man how fun how fun is the mountain west utah state danny sprinkle hey man i love lamont paris danny Sprinkle's got something to say about coach here as well utah state at sdsu i i like i haven't looked at this brian and maybe mm-hmm. that is because i'm lazy you can develop an opinion on uh, about the about me with respect to this but when i look at the mountain west i just feel like the top six they they can't they don't sweep each other like i see sdsu was yeah. one two straight last week and they come in and they lose like that's just how it always feels i don't feel like any team in the mountain west has been on a roll per se, but we got Utah State at SDSU. Uh, Danny Sprinkle doing a tremendous job. Talk to me about this huge tilt in the Mountain West.
0: It it is. I think it's huge for Utah State from uh, national validation purposes, because you mentioned that no one on the Mountain West has really been on a roll and they haven't. That top six keeps, keeps beating each other. But Utah State, I think is the team you could point to as being the most on the roll but they have not played as many of those top six as I, I would say the other five have. I haven't looked at that, but it just, it feels that way. This is their chance to put a stamp on the record. Kind of like South Carolina did with that. over Tennessee, where it's like, you cannot ignore us now. We are this good. San Diego state has their flaws. They're not as good as last year's team, but it's still a very good Aztecs team. You're going on the road to play them. And if you beat them, hence, you say State had a second straight loss, I think that that's the kind of win that makes people go oh, okay this there is like some credence to Utah State not just being good but being like maybe top 15 good depending on on, on how that game goes that's that's the intriguing part to me about this game cuz I I trust San Diego State and, and and that coaching staff and the players they have to figure things out and be good even if they lose but this is an opportunity for Utah State to kind of put that stamp on like yeah this is this is legit this is legit What
1: is in the water in Logan? I said Utah State a couple of weeks ago was like the best stepping stone school for coaches. Mm -hmm. You you think about Danny Sprinkle. You think about Craig Smith, right? You think about Ryan Odom, who's who's, uh, rebuilding VCU. But like Utah State is just perennially in the NCAA tournament. I'm sure I'm missing another big name, but it's crazy the success. And I'm not saying it's just something, some divine intervention, but at the very
0: least, the Utah State Administration knows how to hire coaches. Oh, absolutely, and it, it's a coveted job because it's a, a passionate fan base, right? In an area where they are one of the primary schools, and there is a, a big fan following there. They have resources to put resources behind it, um, which is is what you need really at a, any major job. I don't know for. I've reached the point with Mountain West where we don't consider them a major anymore. I don't. I think they're in that kind of tier. I don't either, man. Right below with the, with the American. Right. Yeah. I, I think they're in that tier. But to to win there, really anywhere, like you have to put resources in and more resources compared to other teams in your league. And Utah State does that, and the fact that they've continually had success and have had coaches springboard to other jobs that are higher jobs. I'm not gonna say better jobs but higher jobs. Once you see that a time or two, like it becomes a very attractive destination for coaches. So you can say, okay, I know I can have success here programs in place. We have good fan support. I'm going to get paid pretty well. And I know I can get looked at for other jobs if I do well here. Right. Once you've done that a time or two, it becomes an incredibly, incredibly attractive place. VCU is in the same kind of boat, right? With Ryan Odom. Like there are these schools that just become feeders and it's, it's not by accident. I think Utah State, Utah state's administration has done a good job of, realizing the position that they're in identifying good coaches and not just going for like big names. Right. Um, and, and capitalizing on it.
1: I think that's a great point. You mentioned not going straight for big names, because if you look at what Danny Sprinkle has done in his whole career and what he did at Montana state, you know, some folks may, may be saying, Oh, there's, there's bigger names out there that have coached it at the higher level. It's like, no, why don't we give this guy a shot? Who's up and yeah. coming and has proven that he can do this without maybe the most resources in the entire universe. Right.
0: Right. And and I, I think there are two directions you see schools like that go where you see the ones who are like, all right, let's, let's get a good coach in here and, and yep. see if we can win some games. See if he can prove himself this level or those who are like, here's this big game coach. We can sell tickets. He was at a higher level. You know, he should be good trickling down here. And there, there are cases of both working out. Right. But I, I would argue that far more often than not, the the rising coach you, you give more resources to does a better job than the one who might be looking at it as a retirement job or a bounce-back job.
1: Yeah. The big Magilla and the big 12. Houston, <laughs> Kansas, baby. Houston, Kansas is like the second Houston and all those other teams, Cincinnati, BYU, mm-hmm. no disrespect to those guys, but the second I saw Houston was going to the big 12, I was like, this is the game. Now we all know the big 12 has so many heavy hitters. So you can make any sort of combination of like Houston, Texas, which we just saw, or, uh, you know, Houston, Iowa state, who they lost to all the, all these, but the heaviest hitters, the two teams that have been to final fours (laughs) super recently are squaring off on Saturday. Like Brian, when, when I look at this, I was like, this is what I was so pumped about. The second Houston made the move to the big 12 Kansas I don't know if you want to call it reeling by their standards. Sure. They're reeling Uh, Houston coming off of an overtime win. it's interesting to me, like Houston, I, I I think a lot of people were ready to pounce on them because they did have a little bit of struggle compared to what they've been going through in the AAC and everyone's like, Hey man, it's not so sweet in the big 12, but Houston is still there like a prize fighter, still punching. Uh, Now they go on the road to Kansas Man, this is gonna be a terrific game. The guard play is gonna be insane. Jamal shed and 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 uh Dewan Dewan, uh, Harris, excuse me, mm-hmm. two of like my favorite guards for the last few years. I'm rambling here. Talk to me about Houston, Kansas.
0: It's gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna be a lot of fun for sure. Um, like that atmosphere at, at Fog Allen is always crazy. but a game like this, Houston is ranked higher everywhere metrics, human polls, Houston's ranked higher everywhere. Kansas will probably be the the betting favorite. But this is the the first time like there's been a newcomer who's like according to all of these objective and subjective polls is better than you. And I can only imagine how like what that's going to do to that atmosphere where the other group are like, no no this is this is our conference. This is our league. Um on the court, Kansas is interesting to me because you know they have struggled of late. They're they're three and three of the last six games. Um, Kevin McCullers is dealing with a knee issue. Uh, I think I saw that, which which he is crucially important to them, not just because of what he does, but also the fact there's like no depth behind him or any of the starters at Kansas. And I think they need to be clicking on all cylinders to beat Houston when Houston is playing. Let's say it's it's B to B plus game, right? Kansas margin for error I think is less because they they lack that depth, um, but. These are games that Kansas consistently wins at Fog Allen. That atmosphere in that place, I always say, is good for about two to three conference wins a year where Kansas shouldn't win the game, gets outplayed, but the opponent either gets rattled, there are officiating errors caused by the crowd or getting caught up into it that just tilts things in Kansas' favor. I don't know if this will be one of those games or not. I mean, Kansas ha- Kansas has to play well. Because Houston is going to going to play well, Um, but I do think Texas did some things against Houston in the second half of their game um, that I think Bill Self will take note of. Uh, There were a couple, not to get too kind of X and Oe here on on podcast, but um, Texas started beating Houston in the post, so Houston started doubling the post, and as a result of that, their help defense is designed to basically have one guy guard two players on on the other side of the court. It's by design. It's a hard pass to make. Mm-hmm. You have time to recover out to those guys. So having one guy guard two is not a huge problem. Well, Texas took those two guys and were like, all right, as soon as that happens, you're cut to the basket. So it's an easy pass. And now one guy does have to guard two guys. That was how Texas got back in that game. It looked like they were going to win for a while, was they kind of took Houston's strategy and found the hole in it and made it, made it happen. And, and I don't know if Rodney Terry came up with that or somebody else on the staff did. I, mean, I know people have different opinions on Rodney Terry as a coach, yeah. <laughs> um, but I will be shocked if Houston a does not double Hunter Dickinson and then B Kansas doesn't do the same thing where they, they send some cutters into the lane with that one defender trying to guard too. Um, so I think I'm interested basketball nerd in me is interested to see how that plays out because Kansas has to play well. And I think that's one way you can kind of poke a hole in Houston's defense, but I kind of think Houston wins. All right. I, Kansas at a point I don't know if I trust them right now
1: yeah I think that's fair uh that I feel like Kansas doesn't have a ton of depth either um Mm -hmm. yeah and and Bill Self versus Kelvin Sampson is going to be amazing to watch but the thing I want to unpack from your answer and it's so true and I'm glad there's someone else that has noticed this is that you said it much in a much more eloquent fashion teams pee their pants in fog Allen. All right. (laughs) Yes, Like I remember, I think a few years ago, West Virginia was in prime position to beat Kansas and then win the big 12. And they gave up like a 12 0 run in two minutes for, for some reason. I don't know. So I've seen multiple big 12 teams collapse in the fog. This new guy, can you not collapse or, or will you just be, uh, you know, another notch in the old belt there for Kansas. So that's going to be very, very interesting to see. Um, Brian, a few more that I want to get to before we get to some quick hitters and having a little fun. Auburn Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to uh, pass this over. Yes. Auburn's interesting, right? I think a lot of folks fell in love with Auburn. They went to the top 10, but their resume isn't the, necessarily the most robust. You look at Ole Miss as well uh they're racking up wins i think they only have they have a similar record if not the exact same record as south carolina they don't have two top 10 wins but mm. auburn Ole miss i think is kind of critical for both of these clubs in terms of where their season can go like if old miss wins i think you're looking at maybe a top eight or nine seed in the ncaa tournament if auburn loses um You start working. Like uh, you're probably out of the top twenty five. There's a little bit of concern. Uh, Tell me a little bit about why this game is super important for both teams.
0: It's the validation battle, right? You know, Auburn is top five, top ten in every metric. They're not ranked as high with the computer, with the with the AP poll and the personal polls, but metrics love them. They haven't they haven't beaten anybody of good uh, of note. Like they they've lost all of their Q one games. We talked about that with um, with Florida. Auburn's in the same boat, like playing at App State too is a Q one opportunity, and they lost that game. Which App State's a good team, but like they have fallen short routinely in the better games they've played. Um, I don't know if this Ole Miss game is is a Q one opportunity, but it's certainly one that will resonate, and uh, I think set a real floor if Auburn is able to win that game. Ole Miss, flip side of things, the loft eighteen and three record does not have those top ten validating wins that South Carolina South Carolina does. Auburn is not the same caliber of win, but again, I think it it would send a message of of where Ole Miss actually is in the SEC pecking order, right? It's it's not that the validation of you are this good, but it's a validation of, yeah, you're really good. We know your tournament team. Like, there's nothing fluky about this.
1: Yeah, yeah. it's it, this one's going to be a lot of fun. And again, the coaching matchups. Like yes. I, I, for some reason i'm just gravi- like i gravitate to those and, and we talk about st john's uconn hurley and patino there's a some subliminal messaging going on there from uh from mr patino also but excited for that auburn old miss game okay these are the three heavy hitters and i'm going to end it with the one that i'm most excited about which by process of elimination you'll get but we'll start with duke carolina you said you're going to be in the building yep greatest rivalry in sports i i I have to beat that drum every like. I don't want to hear about Bears-Packers. I don't want to hear about Celtics-Lakers. I don't want to hear about Oklahoma-Texas. Like none of it. All right, mm-hmm. Bama, Auburn. This is the greatest rivalry in sports. These two programs. Like I don't care about the football teams. This basketball rivalry means something, and mm-hmm. it's a top. T- it's it always delivers. I think Jay Billis said that this always delivers. We've seen a Final Four game between these two teams. We are seeing conference championships at play and don't look now but as a result of carolina's loss to georgia tech and duke beating vatek uh, duke wins this game and they are tied with carolina in the loss column in the acc and all the rhetoric brian has been that duke if i were to read what twitter is saying
0: duke is some bubble team apparently they stink um i i i'm probably one of those people because I, I, I don't think Duke okay. is both. Like, Duke, Duke's a very good team. It's handing on their business. And I do think we tend to look at Duke from the glass of they were supposed to be like a, a preseason top three, top four team. And they've climbed back up there because they've won games. So they have not played like that. Things have been a struggle for them at times. They played a lot of close games that they should not have really played. We'll talk about validating wins. Duke doesn't need any validation, but beating UNC at UNC will hold more weight than any win that they've had since november december right like that that's going to signal that like this kind of turnaround that they've had this little run is real and not just a a byproduct of playing acc teams that 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 don't come up to snuff and for unc we talked about unc as being in that category with purdue and uconn um won ten games in a row had handled their business away from home which nobody had really done well then you go and lose at georgia tech and now suddenly that that thing that you built of where we put UNC on this pedestal is now in danger of of being taken away and falling down like a house of cards because Duke can go in there and beat them. I don't think they will. I trust UNC a lot because what they do defensively, the tempo they play with offensively, RJ Davis has not had like a, a bad game this year. And I don't think he's going to like, I think it's just kind of at that level where you can kind of rely on him to be playing well every game. I think UNC's – the, the Georgia Tech game was the first game where UNC's rotation guys and the others, right, the role players, haven't been good. They, they were cold from the field, and they still lost Georgia Tech by one when Georgia Tech was playing out of its mind. However – if UNC loses again, then that you, that becomes then it moves on from being a one game like oh that just kind of happens to being like is there some concern here because UNC won ten games in a row and this was pointed out to me by by Greg Waddell of Sleepers Media, uh, they won ten games in a row. Like what what was the best win? What really stuck out to you?
1: Was it Clemson?
0: Yeah. I... Yeah, uh, yeah, and like that's certainly a good win. You'd rather you know you'd rather win those games than not win those games, mm-hmm. but there it was a byproduct of like UNC handled the business when nobody else handled their business. Mm-hmm. Which is great. Like I, I, I came out of that thing. Like UNC has as high of a floor as anybody. This doesn't tell you anything about their ceiling. I think beating Duke kind of helps with that. But losing to Duke, then you start to wonder. Okay, well, how high is that ceiling?
1: Yeah, you talked a little bit about South Carolina looking ahead. Wonder if there was a little bit of a look ahead for UNC coming into Atlanta last night or a couple nights ago, excuse me, Uh, Iowa State at Baylor. I had J.R. Blount, uh, assistant coach for the Clones, on the program last week, and their defense has just been elite. So this is kind of a kiss mm-hmm. of titch. We were talking about the defense, and then we also saw what they did against Kansas in the second half, which was just shoot the absolute lights <laughs> out of the ball. But Iowa State's defense has been incredible, and one of the teams you like, TCU, they marched into Fort Worth, mm-hmm. and created, I think, 18 turnovers in the first half of that TCU game. Iowa State's defense has been so good. They go into Baylor, whose offense has been has been clicking. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: big, big 12 tilt. What do you think? I'm very excited to see this for Iowa State. Um, I wrote about this in the Ralph report that's up on HXBB.com that came out on Monday. Um, but Torvik has a phenomenal... Filter where you can see like those no similar resumes and similar profiles, right? Resumes goes based off your your um, your metrics. I think profiles goes based on like who you've beaten and, and records and, and things like that. Iowa State, the most similar efficiency profiles, the top three, with 2013 Louisville team that won the national championship, 2012 Kansas team that reached the national championship, and the 2020 Arizona team that was playing pretty well before the tournament was canceled. Wow. The most similar resumes that they've had was the 2008 Xavier team that made the Elite Eight, 2011 Kentucky that made the Final Four, 2014 Creighton that lost in the first weekend, 2008 Louisville that reached the Elite Eight, and the 2019 Texas Tech team, 2019 Texas Tech team that made the National Championship game. Title game. My goodness. Like those are the most comparable teams to this Iowa State team. Wow. There is a real chance that Iowa State is like legitimately good, Leg- legitimately good and we just kind of haven't realized it yet. Now, some of that, they've, they've won all their big games at home. They did beat TCU on the road, which I think is a better win than is given credit for. That might be a better win than going to Baylor and beating Baylor, to be quite honest with you, because Baylor has some questions about how they've done against top teams. But you go on the road and beat Baylor, I think now people will start t- paying attention to how good Iowa State is. They're elite defensively. We talked about the offense kind of picking up. They've gone from having a bad offense to a like slightly above-average offense, which is – more than enough, more yeah. than enough for them, given the way that defense is playing and some of the the individual guys that they, they've had offensively. Like, this is a spot for Iowa State where I think – I'm not going to say that they're going to beat Baylor because I think it's probably 50-50. Baylor at home is, is still a very good team. But I, I like this Iowa State team, and I, I think there's a real chance that they are, like, a really, really good team.
1: I'm so glad you said that because after they beat TCU, I think – or actually after they beat Kansas, I think I said – I'm ready to say that Iowa state is an elite eight type of team. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I was like, the reason I tweeted that is because it's not like I'm saying that about a Houston or a Carolina or a Tennessee or right. uh, You know, a Purdue UConn, right? Like I don't think people are realizing that Iowa state (laughs) is kind of rolling right now and they look damn good. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. They're not going to make as many threes as they did in the game against Kansas. Well, I'm sure they would love to, but I'm going to assume they're not going to make as many threes as that. But the way they play defense gives them a high floor. They have more offensive creators and more three-point shooting than they've had in past years. They're a much more complete team and a, a very, very tough team to to deal with.
1: Assume at your own risk, Brian. We'll see what happens in March. It's always crazy, isn't it? Um, let's finish up here. My favorite game of the weekend, the one I'm most looking forward to, Tennessee at Kentucky I still love Tennessee like that I I don't think there's a ton of shame in in losing to South Carolina if I'm if I'm going to think of them as a title winning team I would have expected them to win but I'm not terribly out on them Kentucky's defense has a ton of questions but this is going to be I mean it's a real rivalry game you're at Rupp Mm -hmm. the two best teams in the SEC for what we we all think uh this is going to be a
0: lot of fun I cannot wait for this matchup Who, who, who you got in this I have Kentucky. Now, I I think Kentucky is a Final Four National Championship caliber team. And I think Tennessee is too. But I think Kentucky is probably like a slight bit ahead of Tennessee, assuming their defense improves. And we're like just now starting to see Kentucky with all the scholarship players available. Like they've played shorthanded all year and have looked this good. And part of it has been big guys – a big part of it has been big guys being out – Church' the room protection. Which hurts you can do on the perimeter. So I, my theory is that Kentucky's defense will improve. Now they have their full roster together. They're not going to be a great defense. I think there are some limitations with their perimeter guys that will keep that from being the case. But Tennessee will be a good test for that because Tennessee. I mean Dalton Connect is your Zach Eady national player, non Zach Eady national player of the year at this point. Excuse me. Like Zach Eady's running away with that thing, but Dalton Connect's probably number two as of right now. The troubling thing that I think Tennessee has gone through recently and came to a head in that South Carolina game, which we've talked about a little bit, is the fact that Connect scored thirty-one, the rest of the team scored twenty-eight, mm-hmm. and it wasn't like the other guys were were shooting the ball and getting good looks and just missing. They they weren't shooting; they were completely deferring to Dalton Connect. And we see this happen with teams at the NBA level, college level, high school level, at any level of basketball. Where you have one guy who is so good offensively, particularly so much better offensively than everybody else on the roster, there is a tendency to over defer to them. Like there is this line you have to you have to walk where you want to defer to them and have them be the number one option because they are they are a legitimate number one option, but you have to do that while still being aggressive. And the rest of Tennessee's roster was not aggressive against South Carolina, and part of that was South Carolina's defense, but. Kentucky's defense is much worse than South Carolina's. I want to see Tennessee's other guys be aggressive, shoot four for 14 from the field. I don't care. That's going to do more than you letting Don't connect shoot 40 times while you shoot like, you know, one of four that yeah. doesn't put as much as much stress on the defense like that. That's the one concerning thing for Tennessee to me, like moving forward is, is if that constant deferral continues because Tennessee was a good team. Last year has been good throughout Rick Barnes' tenure. We thought this team would be different because of what Dalton Connect could add, and he is he has added that. But you have to add that while not taking away what everybody else does. And I think the last couple of games they've they've it's been their own doing, but taking away what everybody else does. So
1: I haven't necessarily seen the deferral like you had mentioned. I'm not disagreeing with you. It just mm-hmm. wasn't evident to me. What I always look at with Tennessee losses is I go straight to their three-point percentage because if they just shot like average, I'm talking mid-30s, right. maybe low 40s, they still grind out. It'll be a close game, but they'll win that game. Man, they're sh- in their losses, they always seem to shoot 18 to 25% from three. And I think they yeah. finished the other night with 24% with Dalton connect hitting like two crazy ones in right. the last second. So I'm not really even counting those, but the point that I'm making is this is terrifying for Vols fans because of how prone they are to shooting that poorly. Like right. it's not you. as a Vols fan, I would say, yes, I agree that if we shoot that poorly, we can get picked off by anyone. But the scariest part is that it's not one of those. Well, this won't happen again it took this type of game. It's like, I've seen that plenty of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I hope it doesn't rear its ugly head. Cause I love the balls and I have some good <laughs> friends from there, but we'll see. I mean, this is going to be a, a tough, tough matchup
0: and rub for sure. Yeah. I, I've uh, said the Tennessee team is different. I, I think they have real realistic fun of for potential that they did not have in past years, but they're not playing like that right now. Yeah. I I'd agree with that for sure
1: um brian that was a lot of fun what i want to do is talk a little bit uh about you and maybe some other little topics that were bubbling up in my head get your feedback on it but first and foremost some quick hitters to get you out of here uh best environment that you've been in to
0: cover a game or if you were just a fan um unc duke in the final four in new orleans oh damn (laughs) yes i mean like like that's kind of that's kind of obvious but um the I have never like heard nervousness at that level before and it was maintained throughout the entire game cuz like like UNC won that game and the cheers like, after Caleb Love's shot went in were more of like relief cheers than joyous cheers cuz the, the entire game everyone was more concerned with losing to the other than actually winning
1: I believe that I,
0: it might have been Riley who said he was there maybe
1: it was it was someone who said the exact same thing? It wasn't like emotionally charged, fired up. It was just, I have a huge dump in my pants from both sides of, <laughs> yes. of the
0: building. Yes, for
1: two hours. For two, it was, <laughs> it was, it's the most insane thing I've, I've ever heard. If you could sit down with anyone in college basketball history, have them on uh, a podcast or write about them, who would it be?
0: Probably Bill Raftery i think okay. we get some good stories out of him i think we'd get some good stories out of him would you sit down at a bar with him to to get the story first the question would be if i would ever get up from the bar <laughs>
1: <laughs> um who is a middling team to make a run brian we always talk about man, what is Purdue ceilings, UConn ceilings, Houston ceilings, right? All this stuff. Or, hey, who's like a 15 or 14 seed that can make a run? Who's this year's Oral Roberts? Who's this year's St. Peter's? No, no, no. Give me someone who's going to be like a 7 or 8 that nobody cares about right now. And then we look up, and it's like Miami and the Elite 8 mm-hmm. or some some Elite 8 team that you're just like, well,
0: they didn't really do anything in February. Yeah. Who is that team? I'll go two categories. I think there are a couple of teams that will, could be double digit seeds that make runs uh, in App State and Grand Canyon. I think both those teams okay. are good. App State's really, really good defensively. Uh, and Grand Canyon uh, is really good two way. They have like, they legitimately have power conference size. Like they're not going to shudder at, at going up against some of those power conference teams. Um, but from like a, a, an eight to nine, like kind of those middling teams, I, w- I would say pick your Mountain West team. I think okay. Colorado State is the most dangerous and the one I'm most excited about because of the way they play. Things have to break appropriately for them in the bracket, but the way they play offense, the way they shoot the three, um, is a really tough guard. They also have one of the top three guards in the country in Isaiah Stevens. And the amount of times we hear guard playwoods in March, guard playwoods in March, and it's true, it helps to have the best guard on the court at virtually all times.
1: I like that. Colorado State and okay, so Colorado State. I'm going to be thinking about that, and also Iowa State because it's very nice that you agree with oh, me. Yeah. And well, no, no, so I I expect Iowa because they're a big name. I, I'm not saying you should have answered that. I'm just saying for when I fill out my bracket, I'm going to think about those teams that you comp them to uh, in the yep. past, and I'm going to be like, I think people will overlook Iowa State, but I appreciate that. I think so,
0: absolutely. Is Gonzaga's windows closed? it's current window. I'm not going to say a new one will not open, Um, but they are not recruiting at the same level they were at when they were making those elite runs. And like going from Jalen Suggs to Chet Holmgren to drew Timmy, like that doesn't just happen all the time. You know what I mean? Like that, that undefeated team that lost to Baylor, like that was a team that had to win. That was a team that had to win. Mm -hmm. They ran into a better team you just chalk it up and say that that's what it is. It's going to take Gonzaga I think a couple of years to get back there. I don't know if Mark Few will be the one to get them back there. Like this might be kind of a hard reset. Um but the the current window is closed, yes.
1: No take backs on Tommy Lloyd. I would like to say that first and foremost. <laughs> um but you're right. Like the personnel that it's just staggering who's gonna who's been through Spokane. Uh you mentioned like guys like even Zach Collins, NBA players right. like Zach Collins, right? Um I mean, Kevin Pangos was such a s- solid player for them. Like even the guys like, like Nigel Williams, Goss, Shemer Karnowski, right. like another guy you well, that, can't take back. Like all well, these that, guys. That's
0: the, that's the thing. You had to go through those guys to get the tier of mm. Suggs, Holmgren, and, and even Timmy, right? Like there was a, there was a build to that. I think they're, like you have to build to that again. It's going to take some time.
1: But I would even say those guys, like the Nigel Williams Gosses, like they're better than what they're – looking at right now and that's no disrespect exactly i hard potentially okay we exactly. might be saying the exact exactly. same thing yes. just in uh yeah. different words okay uh yeah i mean again no disrespect to Graham ek but it's 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 a big man lineage there that is tough to live up to for sure yes um last couple ones and i'll get you out of here do you fill
0: out your bracket via paper or computer are you an old school purist paper. i fill it out as the show is going on i have found what? that my gut reactions are better than me overthinking it
1: so is it, it does it go gut reactions and then you have to like shoehorn the explanation into why you're right? Like, is there no room for let me vacillate and switch back and forth?
0: There there always tends to be like a matchup or two that I get to, and I'm like, mm, we have to kind of figure this out. But I, I will go gut reaction and like it's people say they have to do all this research and stuff, which I, I get, and I'm one of the ones who writes the research for you like to <laughs> read. Right. Like too, I, I get that, right? But like because like I pay so much attention to this, and I and you pay so much attention to this from November on, like my research is done, and so like my initially, if I can just give a gut reaction, I find that to be more right than if I'm I'm rethinking and overthinking something.
1: That's a great point. That's a great point. Brian, this has been such a blast and I really appreciate the insight, especially as it relates to the games upcoming and sharing a bit of your story. Can you do me a favor? This is the last segment and last question I ask all of my guests, including Riley, who was kind enough to refer you. Is there anyone that you recommend I reach out to, to have them on theater in college hoops, share their journey and uh, their brilliant insight as you were so kind to do?
0: Uh, I'll, I'll try Greg Waddell. I, I know I brought him up earlier sleepers media, but he's a, a really, really fun guy to talk to. And, and does, I know has a unique story, which would be a lot of fun. Yeah. So Greg
1: has been on the program, but I do need to get him back okay. on this upcoming season. No, it's okay. I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you for another one. Uh, it is worth me reaching back out to him and getting his thoughts, his auditors, his, his verbal thoughts on Michigan. I've, I've read him, uh, but we got to talk a little Michigan before we get to the real tournament teams, but Brian, this was a ton of fun, man. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll be reading your work. Speaking of that, where can we read your work?
0: Yeah, he um, We actually have started putting together a document for our conference tournament and state tournament plan. So there's a lot, a lot coming down the pipe here on he over the next two months. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter or X Twitter. I'm uh, still on B-R- Twitter, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> B Ralph 33. Uh, it's P R A U F 33. Uh, so make sure you check
1: those out. Terrific stuff, Brian. Thank you again for jumping on. We'll be in touch and uh, looking forward to reading more of your work as we approach March madness. Thanks again, man. Thank you. Okay. I want to thank Brian one more time for jumping on to the program it was a lot of fun and learned a lot. I said at the top of the program and the top of the podcast that I just felt a bit smarter and more prepared for making picks, for filling out my bracket. Now, I don't know if I'm going to be able to have a relatively instantaneous reaction to when the bracket comes out and have an instant idea of who I'm going to choose to win those games like Brian does. Uh, I I can tell you I don't put in the amount of hours, research, data, et cetera, that he does, but he's going to be part of my my studying. I'm going to use his work to study some of these matchups and make my picks from there and then eventually, I don't know, fall in the middle of my bracket pool or towards the end. And it's not going to be Brian's fault. It'll be because I second, triple, quadruple guess myself but this was a a great time chatting with Brian, and uh, very interested and in intriguing career trajectory, and very fun to to get a better understanding of where he came from and how he is where he is. And uh, we're really we really do appreciate chatting with the Heat Check guys, right? Like him, Eli Becker, who we had on last year, uh, Riley, who's close with those guys, Riley Davis. So. A lot of fun chatting with Brian, and we appreciate his time. Let's go ahead and get on out of here, though, on some segments, okay? Not so mid. I'm going to go with Drexel. Zach Spiker, he should be in line for his second tournament appearance for Drexel. Of course, they're going to have to win the conference tournament, but they're performing well right now. They only have one conference loss in the CAA. They are atop that conference and they have a monster, monster game February 10th as they travel to Charleston. I'm excited to see how the Dragons perform in that game. It's going to give us a better understanding if they can go all the way in the conference tournament. And again, it'll help with seeding. But outside of that, their schedule is relatively soft in conference uh, the rest of the way. I don't think they have. I mean, Charleston is obviously a a tough matchup. I think they got UNC Wilmington, do they? Yeah, they got UNC Wilmington uh, before that, actually. So UNC Wilmington-Charleston could be tough. Those are two of the top four teams. But, hey, you're number one. Outside of that, I don't know. I don't see them having to play uh, Towson the rest of the way. And Towson they actually just lost to. But... They don't have to play Towson the rest of the way. I think this is going to be a good little stretch here for Zach Spiker's squad. And what I'd like to do is pat myself on the back just a little bit in our preseason mid-major predictions. Uh, I had said Zach Spiker is going to win CAA Coach of the Year, and he's very well on his way to doing that. If he wins the regular season, then he should end up getting that conference's Coach of the Year. So Drexel, you guys are playing very well. It'll be their first tournament if they make it uh, since 2020, 2021. And it'll be on the backs of guys like Justin Moore and Amari Williams, two-headed monster, Justin Moore leading the team in points and assists, uh, also steals, and Amari Williams doing the dirty work on the glass, more specifically leading the team in boards and blocks. So shout out to Drexel, not so mid whatsoever. Zach Spiker doing a nice job again. Uh, prior to the 2020 2021 season their last ncaa tournament berth was the 95 96 season. And they actually that was their third straight ncaa tournament berth. since then uh, they had a long long streak which was broken in 2021 but now zach spiker and company looking to get back and get the drexel dragons back into uh into the dance lord knows philadelphia needs it villanova not very good. Uh, UPenn's going to have to be an AQ, but UPen is also dealing with the likes of Princeton in their conference. So we might be looking at Drexel as a Philadelphia squad to be, uh, to be representing the city there in March. Not so mid the Drexel Dragons. All right, moving on. Let's go now to easy layup. I got to shout out the Ole Miss floor guy. The Ole Miss Floor Cleaner. I mean, this guy is electric. He is energetic. He is wildly entertaining. He is everything you want in a mop guy. And this is just Chris beard culture. I don't know if you saw it, but he was sprinting back and forth between baseline to where the wet spot is. Getting a towel, getting the mop itself. Just a whole new regime down there in Oxford as they beat their hated rivals in Mississippi State. But Chris Beard, in all seriousness, does have them humming. He has them uh, with only three losses on the entire season, I believe. And it's it, it's a culture thing. It's going all the way through his staff to his players, to uh, the, the MOP guys. So I want to shout out that MOP guy for giving it his all. There's, uh, you know, the world, you know, they say that the world needs ditch diggers too. Well, college basketball needs mop guys too, all right? And he's taking taking it very, very seriously. That's my easy layup, very easy to get behind. This is going to be my lane violation, but it very well could have been my easy layup. Let me explain my thought process there. But it is going to fit into the lane violation category. That's DePaul basically giving up and throwing the uh, second miss free throw out of bounds. And they're shellacking to Seton Hall. Seton Hall absolutely dominates DePaul at home. DePaul only scored 39 points. And what happened was Seton Hall missed a free throw. It came into the DePaul player's hands. who was not, ex- I mean, he didn't, he didn't think the ball was going to be live. So he throws it back to the ref, um, but it was a live ball and it goes out of bounds. So, Obviously that's a lane violation in one respect because DePaul just straight up quit. They're not into the game. They don't care. It's very obvious to see. Uh, now you can approach that as a lane violation, or I think you could also make an argument that this is an easy layup. I'm all for just straight up giving up. I'm I'm okay with that. If you were that bad, uh, if you are in that dire of straits, if you are like DePaul basketball, a rudderless ship with no talent, no heart, no leadership, nothing that you need to even be remotely competitive. I kind of get just completely giving up and saying, screw it. I'm down 40 or whatever it is, 30. Okay. At home. It's cold in Chicago. I have three or four wins, whatever it is on the season. Well, why is this ball finding me? I don't want to dribble this up. I'm just going to throw it to the ref, not knowing if it's live or not. I don't care. I kind of get it, and I kind of support it. Uh, it has been a brutal, brutal season for those kids. Remember, they're college kids; they're not professional athletes getting paid to stink like the Charlotte Hornets who are yucking it up down twenty-five on on the sideline. DePaul man, they got to go to they got to go to class after this. They got to they got to walk through Lincoln Park freezing their tails off. And then what do you got next on Valentine's Day, which is supposed to be a day of love and joy? You got to play UConn. I'm going to be protesting out in the streets of Chicago to make sure that game doesn't actually happen. Shame on CBS Sports Network for airing that bloodbath. Poor DePaul. So it is technically a lane violation for the purpose of this show, but please note that I am a a complete proponent of giving up when, when it looks that bleak. So DePaul... I'm here for you. Let's go ahead, get on out of here though. I want to thank Brian Ralph for jumping onto the program and sharing his insights and, and sharing his knowledge. Make sure you follow him and consume his content. He's a great dude in this space and really appreciative of his time. And We will catch you next time here on theater and college hoops. Make sure to lock in, settle in and enjoy this upcoming weekend slate of games because folks, it is going to be beautiful. Catch you next time. Thanks all.